Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. for those who need it today. Some of you are in a winter season. There's several families that have been connected to our church family that have experienced great pain recently. Mike Middleton, who is, um, some of you may know, a new drummer on our worship team, was supposed to be drumming this morning. And this past weekend, his father passed away. So he's returned to the prairies to be with family. A young man that had been part of our youth ministry named Isaac This past week, his father suddenly passed away, 42 years old. The Swan family connected to our church, also experiencing grief from loss of a family member. Vicki White and her church family, her mom in hospice right now. None of these people are in the room with us, but we're here. So we have the opportunity. He's at work in this place so that we can, as a church family, support those who are suffering and in pain right now. Would you join me as we pray together for these circumstances? Father, I lift up all of these families that I've just mentioned to our church here before you. And we're asking for peace. In fact, you've promised through covenant to provide So I'm asking that you'd help all of the hearts involved in these circumstances, those who are grieving, those who are confused and feeling deep pain right now. I'm asking that their hearts would be super receptive to your peace, to your grace. Father, help us as a church family to come alongside, to support, to help, to care in the midst of great pain and challenge. And I know, Father, in a room like this right now, there are others who their need, their circumstance is maybe not known right now, but they walked into this place with an ache in their soul. It's as if an arrow was piercing their heart. There's others who they've got a strained relationship and they need a miracle. Father, I'm asking for the people gathered here today, those online right now, that your peace would touch and help as well. Father, we remember who you are. We just sung, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are the Prince of Peace. So we welcome this presence, this work in our lives and in our midst. And we pray this together in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. While you're returning to your seats, just a couple other notes just for fun. I always hesitate to do this because I'm I'm bound to miss somebody along the way. But I see Chris Burgess up there. And I know it was their anniversary this past week. So happy anniversary to the Burgesses. And we're also so blessed to have visiting with us in the room today, Anne and Anton Donkers, who served as our interim pastors as well. So if they were hoping to come in under the radar, it did not work. They will be mobbed afterwards with lots of love, I'm sure. A few family announcements for you as we approach Easter weekend. Next weekend is Easter. This Friday is Good Friday, and we have a special service at 10 a.m., right here in person and online. So if you'd like to join us, we would love for you to come with us. It's a communion service for the month of April, and we're looking forward to mark such an important part of our church and Christian calendar this Good Friday. Then Sunday is two celebration services, 9 and 11 a.m. How many of you remember Churro Sunday back last fall? Some of you might be like, what in the world is Churro Sunday? 
Come next week, you'll find out we're going to bring in some churros between the service to enjoy, as well as Milano's coffee. So if you like a good cup of coffee and a churro, we'll have a great time next week as well. Last Sunday, I was able to kind of leak a little bit of information that we might have an exciting update to share with you next Sunday concerning the new position that we've made available for a youth pastor. And you didn't hear it from me, so don't quote me on this, but next Sunday, we'll be able to introduce to you our new youth pastors. They will be with us in person, and then they'll be moving to the valley later this year, and we look forward for your opportunity to meet them next week. The following Sunday after Easter, we're going to try something that we haven't done before. We're calling it Choose Your Own Adventure Sunday. So that Sunday afternoon, we're throwing three great outdoor options at you. You pick one and go be part of one of these things, frisbee golf, beach fire, or fishing. And we'll give lots of information in the upcoming weeks on where you're supposed to meet and what you're supposed to do and all that kind of stuff. But really, it's just a great opportunity uh, in God's beautiful world to connect with one another. Some of you, uh, many are new in the last year or two, and a pandemic is a hard time to get to know other people. So perhaps as we hang out outside, we'll get to uh, meet some of those new faces, or some of us, we've recognized the faces maybe, but you know, after months of being masked and all of a sudden the mask is off, we go, oh, that's who you are, okay. So it'll be a great time to connect, and that's coming up after the Easter Sunday, so the following one. And then also just a quick note again, those of you who may be willing to help us with a couple things around our property and building, we're looking to build a team to help mow the lawn this spring and summer. So if you could help out once or twice this year, we've got a good team that will just add you on the rotation. Um, contact our office, let us know this week so we can put that schedule together. And then we have a work bee coming up on our property, outside, inside. You don't have to be a pro. We'll give you job descriptions, tell you how you can help out. We're just looking for a team of people who could help out for a couple hours or so on Saturday, April the 23rd. So please plan to join us then if you're able to. Well, we have arrived together at the final week in this five-part series out of the book of 1 Peter. The reality is we could have probably spent another 13 or 20 weeks in this book. There is so much that lives in Scripture, and I'm sure, like me, many of you look at other texts or part of 1 Peter and think, oh, that would have been cool to get into as well, and maybe, who knows, one day in our future we will. But we've already covered a lot of ground through the five chapters of this book. We've spent time in every chapter looking at a features and thoughts that live all over the place, doing our best to tie together some of the central and main thoughts that live there. We've covered the very first word of Peter, which was Peter. Let me try that again so that I can feel a little better that you might have remembered what we talked about. We covered the very first book, uh, word of the book, which was Peter. Right. Yeah, you were with me that Sunday. And, and then we also looked at what the last word of the book, which was oh, Of course, you were there that, that Sunday as well. Here, for the last time, and if you're joining us for the first time, here's sort of how we're summarizing the central message of this book. Why did Peter write this letter? First Peter is written so that strangers, which is a term he uses often, strangers, exiles, foreigners, aliens, those of us who follow Jesus who fit differently into our world, Peter is written, First Peter, so that strangers could withstand the surrounding pressures and win the respect of those who don't know Jesus yet by insisting on continually doing very good things together in everyday life to enemies 
and the receptive alike. The reality is that in first century Turkey, pressure was mounting around the first followers of Jesus, and it caused them to question faith. It caused them to question, what do I do? How do I respond to this? Not unlike what it's like being a follower of Jesus in 21st century Canada. Pressures, social pressures, cultural pressures, political threats, things that make us feel uncomfortable. How do we respond? First Peter gives us great hope and great direction. It's as if Peter spent time reminding his audience then and speaking to us now of a few things about who we are. Number one, the first week he, he was speaking to us, you are citizens from a different land. You're anchored to a different and better reality. There should be echoes of the Jesus prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was anchored from a different realm but lived on earth. And Peter is reminding us we're also citizens of a different realm bringing new realities to this world in Jesus' name. So he reminds us we're citizens. And he reminds the first believers in Turkey and Canada today, you're aliens. If you feel like you don't fit in, that's right. You're not supposed to. Well, you're sort of supposed to. Fit in for the cause of mission, but don't bend on faith, don't bend on ethic, don't bend on moral. Continue to follow Jesus well, but leverage relationship to bless others in our world. The third week, we looked at the word stone and we're reminded of part of Peter's identity and then this idea that we're not just citizens, not just aliens, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. If you're feeling pressure in this world, it's actually fantastic news to remember that God's presence is no longer contained to a little you know, cube in a temple called the most holy place. But at the crucifixion of Christ, that curtain was torn so that his presence could come and fill all of our lives together. His hope, his peace dwells in you. His help works in you, and it's intended to flow through you. Last week, I introduced some powerful Latin words to you, proximus maximus. And we talked about how God has placed you right where you're supposed to be so that you can be most effective among the people you see regularly who don't know Jesus yet. Why Proximus Maximus, not Transformers, not others? Okay, I kind of fabricated the word. I did look it up, though. It is actually Latin, uh, and it does mean what we want it to mean, so that's good. <laughs> Here's the thing you need to know. We're missionaries, and you may feel a burden for people elsewhere in the world or even elsewhere in the community, and that's wonderful. Get involved. Do something about it. But the message that's thread throughout little places in First Peter is this idea that we are among, that our faith walk must be visible to others. We are going to have our most uh, potent opportunity for impact in our community if we maximize the places in which our faith is seen most often. So where is that? Well, it's in society, it's in our workplace, it's in our homes, it's in our communities, and it's also as our suffering is made visible. We covered a lot of ground, three chapters in Peter last week that talks about how our lives are leveraged towards God's glory and witness. So last week was Proximus Maximus. Today, behold, Proximus Maximus togethermus. 
And together must actually is not a Latin word. I did check it's not. Uh, I, I learned that if I wanted to be true to Latin, it would be proximus maximus simul. But together must, I think, has a nicer ring. So we're going with together miss, okay? Turn with me to chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. I hope I hear a few Bibles. If not, I'll just make my own make some noise. I know that you're with me. Follow along in chapter 3. I want to introduce something important to you that lives in this text. I want to piggyback off of last week. I talked about the potential of your life in the places that you are proximate. There's something important. We're going to cover a fair amount of other thoughts as well, but we're going to circle around for a while this idea of togetherness, that it's not just about you, but it's about the team that you're part of together. So in chapter 3, I want to remind you in verse 8 and 9, Peter is talking about our faith at work in Christian community, that there will be hard times, conflicts, Stepping on one another's toes, how does he know this? Because we're human too. Every, even the most healthy family out there experiences conflict and the need to forgive and trust and communicate and repair relationship. And so if that's a reality in healthy families, it's going to be a reality in healthy churches, in healthy small groups. It's going to be a reality. And Peter's pointing out that should be visible to people who don't know Jesus yet. They should be able to witness you in your difficult, awkward community moments so that they can see how you handle repairing relationship, preferring one another. They're going to see that, wait a minute, you don't respond as the rest of the world does. And Peter even says, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love one another as brothers and sisters, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil. I mean, that that impulse lives so nearby, doesn't it? Just because we claim we follow Jesus doesn't make us suddenly immune to this idea of repaying evil with evil, you know? There's times where it's like, I would just like to give them a little bit of payback. I'd like to give them a little taste of their own medicine. Sometimes when we say that, we're like, that sounds a little holy, right? Like, because medicine's good. (laughs) So I'm going to give them a taste of their own medicine. But when we do that, we are operating in the same spirit as the world, not in the spirit of Christ. And then he says, and don't repay insult with insult. And that's so hard because sometimes we have great zingers that come to us in the night. We're like, I should have said that. Or next time I see them, I will say that. But we don't do that. And when, when people who don't know Jesus yet see how you handle conflict and difficulty and difference within Christian community, it gives them something new to think about. They're experiencing, they're observing something that's unnatural, but it's bearing witness to Jesus. So on the heels of Peter's talk about the power of Christian community and how it's supposed to be visible to others, move to verse 13 with me. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 
in verse 15, where we're going to spend most of our time thinking, I believe Peter draws to our attention four things, our weapons, our lives, our team, and our allegiance. I want to start towards the end of verse 15, where he reveals to us what our weapons in witness are. Have you ever wondered what's the most effective thing, or what are, what are things high on the list of effectiveness that help me to display and convey the message of Jesus at work or in neighborhood or wherever you find yourselves? Peter gives them to us. They're not the weapons we might most naturally expect. Here they are, gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect are our weapons in witness. Not being harsh and disrespectful, not being belittling. Have you ever had somebody ask you a faith question and you felt so like, ooh, I have some information I can drop on them and I, you know, it makes us feel good and important. And there's a temptation at times to, hey, listen, I know the Bible and I know God. Have you ever heard of him? So let me just tell you a little bit of truth right now. And what happens when we deliver faith that way to somebody? There's this belittling message or tone that comes through to them. With gentleness and respect, Peter says, not belittling, not intimidating, not trying to share faith in a way where we're inducing fear. And for centuries, the church has maybe specialized in this one. But coming to faith by fear is not by Christ's design. Yes, there are sobering realities connected to the gospel message that cannot be ignored. But show me Jesus harnessing the powers of fear or guilt and shame to get people to follow him in the gospels. Or show me Jesus harnessing the power of love and compassion and closeness and listening and caring, and people following. It can be so tempting for us as followers of Jesus, as part of a historic church movement through centuries that has had great shining moments and then very embarrassing, shameful moments. It can be tempting for us to just leverage the power and potential of fear or guilt and shame. And Peter says, don't do it. Gentleness, respect. It can be tempting to sharpen our best overpowering arguments so we can pummel people into faith. And they feel, wow, I, you've cornered me. I guess I should follow Jesus. The reality is when people get pummeled into faith or feared into faith or guilted into faith or shamed into faith, there are other things that can pummel them, fear them, guilt them, or shame them out of faith, too. But if they experience the love and acceptance of Jesus, the message, the pure message of the gospel, there's nothing on earth that compares to that. that there's nothing else that exists that lures them away from that. Gentleness and respect. First thing that Peter draws to our attention for us today. Secondly, there's something for us to think about concerning our lives. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have. 
okay, honest confession time, like honest inventory. Um, let's not put up our hands on this one, but imagine I asked, when's the last time somebody asked you, why do you have hope in Jesus? I'm not going to ask us to put up our hands because, you know, it, it, it's been probably far too long for many of us, myself included. But here's the thing. When we get good at proximus maximus, dwelling among people, being, becoming friends with people who don't know Jesus yet, like having real friendships. I'm not talking about surfacey sort of acquaintancey kind of stuff, the smile at the neighbor's talk every once in a while kind of thing, but real friendships. When you have friendships with people who don't know Jesus yet, then they have the opportunity to observe real life stuff and real faith stuff. And along the way, they will begin asking, how in the world do you have strength right now? Why is this happening? Why are you doing this? Why did this occur? So Peter is commenting on our lives, essentially through that line saying, you and I have to learn to live in such a way that people have to ask, why? Now again, this isn't like permission to be weird on purpose. Like, don't, don't get eccentric so that you can kind of stand out and people are like, why? <laughs> this is the unique distinctiveness of faith in Jesus that becomes visible as you befriend people who don't know Jesus yet. Inevitably, eventually, they should be asking you, and they will, the closer we are to them, ask why. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, your life as a believer should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Oh, I love that quote, but if I let that quote read me, I don't know how well my life has been causing my neighbors or others in this community to question their disbelief in God. What would? Probably if I got closer in friendship with them, and probably if they had more than just me to observe, perhaps a community of others who follow Jesus as well. This speaks to a visible life, a visible faith, a visible witness. Some of us are pretty good at the invisible witness. And I'm not suggesting that we all go on social media and just sort of like selfie everything in faith so that people can now see it. It really needs to flow through relationship, not social media. Several years ago, um, there was a neighbor in our neighborhood, lived a couple streets down in an apartment that we met, our family met. Her name was Adele. She was a single, middle-aged woman, very, very sweet person. She walked a lot of places, and so she would walk through our neighborhood from time to time, and because we did our best to try to be front yard, present lots, she'd stop by and we'd have a chat, and we'd get to know her, and from time to time, we would invite her to different things that were happening at our home, like people were coming over to eat and hang out. And on occasion, she would swing by and see and hear others. One time she was walking through the neighborhood and uh, I had some people from our church at the time over at our place, some friends of ours that were part of my small group. And we got chatting. I had some stumps set out for people to sit on. She said, that's a funny chair. And I said, yeah, but it's, it works, right? You know? And it got us talking about chairs. And then it was as if she went into some sort of la-la land mode, and she's like, you know the chair that I've always wanted? 
And she starts describing in tremendous detail this armchair that she's always wanted since she was a little girl. She described the size of it, you know, not too big and not too small, but just sort of the right size where I can kind of sit comfortably, but if I ever want to tuck my legs up while I'm reading a book, I can do it. She described the exact shade of pink that it needed to be, the type of wood that she saw on it. She said, I've actually never really seen a chair like it, but I've always wanted this chair. Now, while she was kind of in her la-la land describing it, me and one of the other guys from our small group kind of glanced at each other, gave a half smile, and we kind of knew what each other was thinking. He started peppering her with more questions for details on what this chair might be like. Meanwhile, I grabbed out my phone, started taking notes, and I'm trying to keep up with all these details. Off she goes after she's done sharing this with us and our conversation's done. She wasn't hinting, she wasn't wishing, you know, she wasn't asking or anything like that. But as soon as she left, I looked to my friend, he's like, yeah, we gotta find that chair. And so that night, we had our small group meeting at our home, and so we had worship and Bible and meal and, you know, communion together. And then towards the end, we said, hey, listen, you know, there's this neighbor, so Proximus Maximus. We wanna, you know, she's having opportunity to see our lives and our faith, and we wanna learn more about her, and, help her feel a sense of welcome into our world and perhaps bring displays of what God's kingdom's like. And so she described this chair she's wanted ever since she was a little girl. What if we could find it? So we, I read off the list and I said, let's see, like who would be in if we, if we found this chair, we could pool money together, who would help? So everybody, you know, everybody's hands are up like, yeah, for sure, we'd chip on, on that. So we looked and looked and looked and looked. Online, stores, no chair was found anywhere. It was a bit discouraging and we prayed several weeks in a row. We're like, God, help us find that chair. God, help us find that chair. Months passed. Laura and I actually were out of town uh, for a little holiday, and then we came back, and when we walked into our house, there was Adele's chair in our house, and I knew who to call right away. That other guy that had been peppering her with questions, I called him. His name is Matt. I said, there's a chair in my house. And he's like, I've got the craziest story to tell you, Mike. He said, it was my day off. I was driving around, and all of a sudden, I remembered, oh, Adele's chair. God, how are we ever going to find it? And he said, all of a sudden, this one store came to my mind. I thought, yeah, I guess I haven't checked there. I'll just, I'll go check. He said, I drove straight to that store. I walked right into where they keep their armchairs, and I turned, and there was the exact chair she's described, right there. He's like, I had a little hatchback car, but I bought it right there, and I found a way to stuff it in, and I knew how to get into your house, Mike, so I brought it in there because I wanted it to be a great surprise for you. And... Sure enough, within a couple days, Adele was wandering past her house, and as was her habit, sometimes she'd come up to the door just to say hi, and she did. So with great delight, like have you ever watched Oprah and her, you know, her favorite things, she gets to give things away? Like that was my moment on behalf of our small group. I was like, oh, Adele, by the way, could you come in and just um, give me some feedback about something? She's like, oh, sure, yeah, I can help with something. So she walks in, and I had pulled out the chair, and, and she, her jaw dropped right away, and she said, that's the chair. I said, I know. And she said, where did you find it? And I said, well, I'll tell you the story later, you know. And she literally circled the chair for several minutes just looking at it. And I'm, you know, kind of... And I said, Adele, you need to sit in it. And she said, okay. And so she did. And I said, this is your chair. She said, Really? Why did you guys do this? 
why? Live in such a way that people ask why? Now, here's the temptation for us as followers of Christ. At times, we're a bit embarrassed about why we did it, and so we give a nice Canadian answer instead. I heard this story of somebody who did something very similar, and when they were asked why, they said, oh, it's not that hard to be kind, is it? And that's a true statement, but it's a missed opportunity to tell something to their soul. And I said, Adele, when you left our place that day, you told us about the chair, we have this group of friends that meets with us at our home regularly. We eat together, we pray prayers together, we read a little bit of scripture together. We talked to them about this, and we prayed for weeks that God would help us find this chair. But why? Why did you give this to me? Why is this happening? And I said, okay, Adele, here's the thing. All of us who were praying, Jesus has loved us in a profound way that we never felt we're worthy of. And he's made even the best dreams that we've had in our life become fulfilled at a deeper, better level. And Adele, God knows who you are. He knows the dreams of your heart. And this was a gesture from God to you to show you that Jesus knows you and Jesus loves you. Live in such a way that people ask why and then find the opportunity to tell the true reason why. Don't, don't sidetrack yourself and give a nice Canadian answer. Find the right way to share something about how Jesus is at the center for the why or the how that people ask. When I tell you that story about Adele and her chair, I hope that you notice that it wasn't just something I did. It wasn't just something that our family did. It was our small group. It was a group of others that Adele was already becoming friends with many of. So Peter gives us stuff in chapter 3, verse 15, about our weapons, gentleness and respect, about our lives, live in such a way that people ask why. But then thirdly, he gives us a massive clue about our team. Some of you, as you've heard us talk about being more intentional in our missional lives at work or in our neighborhood or school, or in a place that you hobby, some of us feel that maybe at times a pressure coming, like, oh, I've got to make this work. How do I do this? How does this? Let me read what Peter says one more time. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Could you say you? Who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The English language is quite poor at times. And this is one of the times it fails us. Our world, our culture and society has formed us in its image at times so that when we read scripture, we read it in an individualistic way because that's how society works. But it's, you know, living out life in an individualistic way is actually only a recent, like, human idea. For millennia, we've lived in community. And so when, when, when Peter writes these words that get translated appropriately into you, in the original Greek, you is plural, not singular. We read that and we're like, okay, 
I, right, I always have to be prepared to give an answer for anybody who asks me for the reason of, that I have hope. But Peter is using plural language here. Yeah, they might ask you, individual, but Peter's emphasizing they're going to ask you. And by you, I don't mean like a whole gathering on Sunday. I mean you and a few other friends that are in and on mission in community together. This isn't all up to you. If you've been feeling some of the pressure of like, ah, oh, how do I, how do I, how do I kind of reach towards people in work? How do I reach towards people in my neighborhood or at school or where I hobby? You need other yous besides you. You're called to be part of a team, part of a community that's on mission together. Chester and Timmons, a book that we have looked at on a few occasions through this series called Everyday Church, say this. It is easy for the world to ignore a solitary Christian living consistently as a believer. He or she can be dismissed as eccentric. But when a diverse group of Christians lives for Christ as a community of love and demonstrable mutual affection, then society will find it harder to dismiss us. The fact is, as people who don't know Jesus yet have opportunity to experience Jesus through your lives, through your communities and your friendships, they will begin to realize that everything the world has been offering them thus far are just pathetic alternatives to something that has much more substance to it. That they begun to taste and see through your life and friendships with you and those that you know and follow Jesus together with. The greatest apologetic for our faith right now is community. Our world, the Comox Valley, most of your coworkers, most of your neighbors, most of the students at your school, most of the people you hobby with are impoverished, are, are malnourished when it comes to community. I promise, if you send out a safe vibe in your neighborhood, a safe vibe at your workplace or wherever you are, and then you throw open the doors for people to just come alongside or come join in, as long as your vibe is safe, people will show up and it will shock you. I think I've told the story of times that Laura and I would put out a chalkboard in front of our house saying, do you love uh, travel? Do you love food? Want to watch The Amazing Race with us? And we had you know, personally invited some neighbors to come do this. We had one family show up one night that we had never met before and they had two they had twin daughters about seven years old and they came to our house to eat food and watch TV with us and we had never met them and they had, I would never bring our kids to some stranger's house to eat and watch TV. Why in the world were they doing that? Starving for a sense of community and when you and I learn how to befriend people who are far from Jesus, and then help them find other friends in your circle of faith friends that they can enjoy and have too. Something in their soul starts coming alive, starts realizing, I think there's something here that I might have been designed for. Together, 
we can make Jesus visible and tangible. It's not impossible on your own, but we do a better job of it together. And again, I'm not talking about Sunday together. I'm talking about your friendship circles, your small group experiences kind of together. Listen to this about Jesus being made visible and tangible. Flip backwards to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is one of my favorite lines that he offers us in verse 8. Though you have, so he's writing to these first century believers in Turkey. Though you have not seen him, you love him. I think there's a sense of shock and marvel and delight for Peter because what was Peter's experience? He did see Jesus. He did know Jesus. And the first followers of faith, they also saw him and knew him. And now faith has spread to a new generation where Peter is experiencing people who never saw Jesus, who never heard him, who never experienced them. And he's, his mind is being blown. Look, people who never met him, never saw him, They can follow him too, so this is how he articulates it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. I think he's going, wow, this is unbelievable. And guess what? None of us have seen or known him either. But through faith and through community, we begin to experience him and your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, those who you hobby with, as they are welcomed into your togetherness kind of experience of faith, Jesus is made visible and tangible to them too. As many of you who have been part of our church for the last several years know, we have been part of a two-year vision process. I want to just recap a couple things that have occurred and then uh, just remind us of some things I brought to you last fall. In the first year, there were 16 particular things that we drew from as we listened to this congregation. There were meetings of different kinds. There were teams that I sat with, leaders that I listened to, and Laura and I together spent time with. There were six different generation nights where we spent time asking questions and taking notes on responses, three different surveys. I brought this to you last fall. Since last fall, here's an additional six things that we can add to this list. We had a town hall. We've had another AGM where we've spent time listening to more content from you as a church family. One of our prayer priorities for this year continues to be number five, God's vision for this church. So it's a prayer priority for our church. There's been ongoing counsel and staff dialogue. We're receiving coaching from an outside consultant to help us hone in on our sense of values and vision together as a church. And there's a resource called Saturate, a book that our staff and our leadership council are journeying through in the first part of this year. So with these things in mind, let me bring you back to a list that I brought you last fall. Here's eight things that just sort of stand out. This isn't a new vision statement. This isn't values. These are just eight observations that have sort of been rising to the surface through this process. I'm going to actually begin at the bottom and work up on this list. Number eight, this church values health. Number seven, there is a cross-generational desire to serve in support of a great community cause together. Number six, we need to pass a biblically-based passion for mission to the under-40s, teens, and children. On that one, I'm just so proud to let you know that last year there were a few teenagers in our church that gave hundreds of dollars to missions. Is that not great? That's 
progress. We're moving in the right direction. Number five, equipping parents to be primary disciplers is an urgently growing priority. And we've laid before you over the last several months part of our staffing strategies so that we can better accommodate this into our future. Look at four through one with me together now. I think they're meant to fit together somehow. Every generation talks about food. It became laughable for Laura and I when we spent six separate meetings with all the generations in our church. Every single one of them talked to us about food. We love eating together. I'd ask, how should we reach people in this community? Food. I love it. Number three, there is a sincere desire for local evangelism success. Those three words are so important. Not just local evangelism, because you can do it and nothing happens. Not just evangelism, because we could support stuff elsewhere alone and not worry about here. But local evangelism that actually produces fruit over time. Two, CPC is known for a strong sense of community. And number one, and most importantly, there's a desire to keep Jesus central in vision. What if there was a way that one through four could kind of be experienced together? That a church who loves to eat together, that's known for its sense of connection and community, could leverage these things towards local evangelism success. It would look far less programmatic than you might imagine, far more organic and through small groups of friends learning how to eat together, be on mission together, and invite others that they are proximate to into those environments so that over time, others can visibly taste and see that the Lord is good. Could we be describing a future where we have communities on common mission together, groups in common mission together? I want to show you a short video clip. Many Christians get together regularly in what they call small groups, where they pray together, study the Bible, encourage one another, and sometimes have a meal together. This is a good thing, but then they often go off all by themselves to share the gospel with their friends, and many times they come back very discouraged because they aren't very effective. But Jesus never sent his disciples off by themselves. He sent them out in pairs, and the apostle Paul went on mission with a whole team. That's because Jesus told us it's by our love for one another that the world will know that we are his disciples. I encourage a group of people to be a community on mission or a missional community where they love one another and are sent together to a group of people. We want this group to see this community of people loving one another because it's by our love for one another that they'll be able to see that the gospel changes us. This could look a number of different ways. It could be a party that we throw and invite some of our friends to attend. It could also be a few of us going to a party that others throw. It could be us inviting some people we know to come serve others with us so that they can see our love in action. Either way, we want to get people who love Jesus to love one another in the midst of a group of people who don't know the love of Jesus. Jesus' intent is for us to be a community on mission, not a bunch of individuals on mission all alone. I wanna tell you one more story and then we're gonna to work towards landing this together today. 
Several years ago, in one of the small groups that we were leading, um, we would throw parties from time to time, just, you know, if Thanksgiving was rolling around, hey, let's just see if anybody in the neighborhood and in our mission field wants to come. And the first Thanksgiving party we threw, you know, I just thought, everybody's got family there. And by the end, we did our Thanksgiving party for the community. We did it on the Monday. And we're like, everybody's had too much turkey by Monday anyways. But just in case there's any stragglers out there. And to our surprise, we had 40 people show up in our home to have Thanksgiving dinner with us. It was all potluck, thankfully. We didn't have to give everybody a square of turkey. But uh, it, it was fantastic, and it told us. And we asked many of the people, is this your first Thanksgiving? Oh, no, no, we've already eaten with family and stuff. We just thought it'd be cool to be together with some of the neighbors that were eating together, too. Well, great, we're glad to have you. So we'd throw parties like that or find an excuse to throw a party in the summer or front yard barbecues or whatever it was. And we would tell the people in our, in our church small group, we'd like, Hey, uh, feel free to invite some other people in your own mission field to come along. If they're looking for a sense of connection and community, they could come too. And so this one couple in our church named Brandon and Anne brought a couple of friends with them that Anne had met through work named Daniel and Emily. They were a young Chinese couple, incredibly bright, intelligent, just awesome, dynamic couple. And so they came to a few of these sort of neighborhood party things, and we did a games night, and so they came and played games with us. And they just were really fun, great people to get to know. And every time that they came, as well as the others, we never, like, shut the door and started handing out church propaganda. It was just a games night and just a meal time. It was just that. But inevitably, they'd pick up that some of us were a little more connected to each other. See you Wednesday. What's Wednesday? Oh, a few of us get together for another meal, and uh, we, we happen to sort of have the same faith backgrounds. So we read scripture together and we pray for each other. If you ever want to come, you're, you're most welcome, but no obligation. Oh, really? Yeah, you could come just for the, come for potluck on Wednesday. And then if, if it feels weird for you afterwards when we're reading scripture, you can leave. That's fine. And come for potluck next week. It's totally cool. Oh, okay. And so of that couple from China, Daniel and Emily, Emily had to go away for a few months of study. And so Daniel decided, well, I'll come check this out. Now, Daniel was very, very bright. He was educated in one of the largest and top universities in China. And he graduated at the top of his class. And then he let me know he's an atheist. So I'm very intimidated by the power of his intellect. And I'm like, oh, boy, you know, I don't want to talk about faith with him in case he converts me into atheism. And I... <laughs> This is going to be bad for our missional community. <laughs> but he said, I'll come sometime on a Wednesday. Sure, yeah, come along. And so he came to a few of our Wednesday experiences. Now, he didn't let Emily know at first because she had been a little put off by some of the faith stuff that she picked up. And that's natural. That happens sometimes, right? And so he was kind of sneaking. But he's just like, ah, oh, it's food and people. This is great. And so he would hang around for the meal. And then he'd actually sit and listen to us chat through a scripture and share in communion together in our small group and pray for each other. And, well, that's interesting. Several weeks into this, somebody else in our small group was leading communion that night. And they said, here's how we're going to do it. Could everybody get into a pair and read Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2? And then we're just going to share something really quick, and then we'll, we'll share in communion together. We're like, oh, okay. And I'm thinking, I can't let that atheist go sit with just anybody in, my, in our group, because he may just derail their faith in, in a moment there. So I better absorb him, and everybody else can pair up, and it's fine. So I went with him, and I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm going to read Ephesians 1 and 2 with an atheist. And so we read it together. And I said, uh, you know, here's kind of a little bit of what it means to me. And by the time we were done, the person who was leading communion said, okay, everybody, let's, um, let's sort of talk together as, as a group. 
And so, you know, as each couple that had read through things had opportunity, they all shared stuff. And so when it was our turn, I kind of quickly filled the void because I didn't want him to speak up and convert the whole group. And so <laughs> I said a few things and threw it back to the person who was leading, hoping that they would, you know, quickly move into the communion time, which they did not. To which Daniel said, I wanted to share something. I noticed something. I was like, uh-oh, here we go. And in about 60 seconds of him sharing, he just said, I've never heard this before, but I find it so fascinating that these chapters, you call them, depict a way that there's a God who cares for people and sent himself through his son to bring people into harmony with him. And he carried on for about 60 seconds and in the most intelligent, intellectual, maybe even anointed way, he depicted the gospel succinctly and beautifully for all of us. There were people weeping in our small group at how he saw the gospel in that. And he said, this is amazing. I was shocked. We had the most beautiful communion time together. A little later on, I, I just said, uh, Daniel, I don't know if this would be weird for you, but do you have your own Bible? He's like, I actually, I'd, I think I'd like one. So I gave him one. And I remember a few weeks later, he, he showed up in one of our Sunday services uh, just to visit because he knew our, his friends were going to be there. And he had been sick, so I hadn't seen him for a while. So I said, hey, Daniel, how are you? And I was wanting to know how he was doing. Like, are you still sick or whatever? He said, I'm great. I love the Bible. <laughs> I said, you do? He said, I do. And transformation was beginning to occur in his heart. Meanwhile, Emily, who's been studying in the prairies, comes back. She's not an atheist. She'd describe herself as a spiritualist. Everything is God. Everything speaks to me. And she told us one day in our kitchen, she said, Mike and Laura, I have to tell you a story. This is after several months. So Laura and I and Daniel and Emily are standing in our kitchen, and she said, I've had these experiences every once in a while, like just very rarely, but in my life every once in a while, I get this strong warming sensation and I don't know what it is, I don't know what it means. It's like in my heart, and I just think, the universe is reaching out to me right now. And, you know, that's a common thought. There are people who feel that, and, they, and that's what they think and arrive at. And she said, I don't know what to do with that, but it's sort of contributed to my philosophical approach to life. And she said, I was so mad when I heard Daniel started coming to your, like, Bible group thing. Um, and even when I came back after uh, my education experience, he said, you really should come, like the food's good, and I didn't want to come. So she, she actually stayed home for a few times, and then, then she decided to come. She said, that first time I came, I mean, I knew a bunch of you guys. It was fun to be around you guys, but I just didn't know what to make about what you are going to do when you did Bible stuff and all that. She said, so I just sort of hung out at the background, and you guys sat in a circle. I just sat there and didn't say anything. I listened in. And, and she said, then somebody in your group talked about a, a problem they had. And everybody in your group paid such close attention. And she said, I don't know how to explain it, but you all went over to them and you did this to them. <laughs> we prayed for the individual. She said, everybody had their eyes closed and had their head down. I don't know why. But I had my eyes open and I was watching what was happening the whole time. And she said, all of a sudden, while I was watching that happen, this warming feeling filled my heart like I've experienced only a few other times in my life. She said, I was so shocked, I thought to myself, oh my God, that thing's here too. <laughs> and she said that in our kitchen. And Daniel, 
who we didn't know if he was a believer yet or not, he turned to her and he said, oh, that, that's the Holy Spirit. See, he'd been reading about it in scripture. <laughs> and within time, both Daniel the atheist and Emily the spiritualist found a real hope in Jesus Christ. Not through one person, but through a team of people. Proximus, Maximus, togetherness. So what can you do one day? What could you do one day with some friends? One day, what could you do with a small group? I want to encourage you to conspire together, to scheme together. And I want to promise you, this is going to take risk, intentionality, experimentation, and T-I-M-E. We're not looking for people who are far from God that we can stuff into a microwave, press 60 seconds, and get them saved ASAP. Praise God if that happens. We're talking about a slow, faithful approach where we just love people over time and see what happens. Here's one thing that we can grow in together. I'm going to share this with you now, and then we're going to conclude. This is a step in our discovery journey together. This will take time. We're not going to try to implement things overnight. It's not new church by next year. It's us growing and learning together. This spring and this summer, our hope is to host a few neighborhood dinner parties. One in June and one in August. Not on our church property, but at some of your homes. And we'll help you find from our church who lives nearby you. And then, hopefully you can enjoy a good barbecue or a good potluck meal together. And maybe it's just you for June. And then... In August, maybe some of you would be like, let's try inviting some others. And if no other neighbors or other common mission sort of field people come, that's okay. You'll still just enjoy a great meal together. So we're going to give it a go this year. We're going to learn as we experiment together. It will be uncomfortable. It will be challenging. And we'll find our way forward together as we experiment. The last thing I want to draw your attention to in this text today are Peter's first words in chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. As we prepare our hearts to sing a chorus in response together, Peter reminds us what's at the center of all of this. It's not just mission and mission strategy. It's not just withstand by witness. It's not all these other... It's the living Lord Jesus Christ. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. The word Lord there in the Greek is kyrios. Peter's audience knew that word because the emperor in Rome, he was known to be kyrios. And when the kyrios, when the emperor, the Lord of all, would show up in a town, do you know how he would show up? On a horse. A horse was a symbol of strength. A horse was a symbol of victory. A horse was a symbol of conquest and of power. And Peter says, in your heart, set apart Christ as Kyrios. It's Palm Sunday. How did Jesus show up in the city he was called to save? On a horse to do battle and destroy? No. On a humble donkey. A symbol of poverty a symbol of peace. He said, you want to follow my movement?
get ready to be in touch with marginalized people and bring peace to our world. Let's stand together. together today we forsake all other lords lords in society lords in culture lords of political influence we forsake our connection with self autonomous self as lord and we declare our allegiance is to you jesus we set apart christ jesus as lord Now, Father, as we go into your world on your mission, we declare again our dependence upon you. We need you. Would you empower us with your spirit and by your love, not to do this alone, but together, miss. Amen. Amen and amen. I'm going to put up on the screen here and online, our coffee club notes are available. Those of you who really want to snap a picture, you can. This is going to be online This week, tomorrow, you can go on our website, find coffee clubs, click it, and our discussion guide will be there as we conclude our spring semester of coffee clubs together. God bless you. Have a great week. Enjoy spending some time with one another on your way out. Say hi to somebody you haven't met before. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.